It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. January 4th, 2024. I hope everybody is having a great day. Let me say this. It is the first full week of January 2024. My guess is the rest of this year, we will not get a more jam-packed, newsworthy, news-relevant week in the entire year than what we got this week. We're here to break it all down. Obviously, today, we do a little bit of a follow-up on the Nick Saban news. On Wednesday night, we get the stunning news that he's retiring, and when I last recorded, there were still so many questions. What is happening? Is he okay? Are there health issues? What's really going on? Well, we got all those answers on Thursday. We'll break that all down. Also had a few of you ask me, like, is there any weird Belichick, Saban, Pete Carroll? They're all about the same age. Why are they leaving? We'll discuss that. Then from there, we'll take a quick break. And we got to go on what is the latest and what is new when it comes to this Alabama coaching search. Got a lot of updates on Thursday. Some guys are not going to be part of this mix. Some guys might be. We have all sorts of updates. And then from there, like... I thought this was the week we were going to dive deep into college basketball. It has not happened, but it's been crazy in these college basketball streets the last week or so. Four of the top five teams in college hoops have lost this week. We're going to discuss if there's some overarching theme there. So we got a busy show, jam-packed show. By the way, no Aaron right, Aaron wrong this week. I mean, I was just right about everything. Pick Michigan to win the national championship. Picked him to beat Alabama. Whatever. Anyway, I'm kidding, sarcastic, LOL, whatever. No Aaron Torres right, no Aaron right, Aaron wrong this week. We will get back to it next week, but right now there is so much to discuss. With that, that said, no more time to waste. Let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, like what do you people want me to tell you? It's still the GOAT, Nick Saban, retiring. And so as I said, We did a live reaction on Wednesday night on YouTube. Thank you to the thousands of you who subscribed to or thousands of you who tuned in to watch that uh, on either Twitter or, or, or YouTube or whatever. We appreciate your support. Appreciate anybody that downloaded the podcast, by the way, but I bring it up because when I did the Wednesday night show, we didn't really have very many details on why Nick Saban was retiring. Why now? Is there a health issue? Is there a health scare? Is his wife? Okay. Is his family? Okay. Does he maybe want to look at an NFL job? There were so many questions that were unanswered as of about 6, 6.30 on 
Wednesday night when I recorded. And the good news is we got answers to most of those questions. Nick Saban on Thursday did two separate interviews with ESPN. One, a written interview with Chris Lowe. Two, a TV interview with Reese Davis. And essentially, we got answers to all the tough questions that we wanted answers to. Let's dive in. First off, the Reese Davis interview was excellent. Uh, ESPN, on TV. And there were two big things that I took away from it. The first thing is, there are no major health issues for Nick Saban or his wife. And the second, I hate to say it, but the GOAT, the godfather, my guy, Nick Saban, he's just getting old. Here is what Nick Saban said to Reese Davis about why he decided to retire. He said, there's no illness. Miss Terry, who's his wife, is fine. I'm fine. But it was the, can you sustain the season just from a mental grind standpoint? When I was young, I could work until two in the morning, get up at six and be there the next day and be full of energy and go for it. But when you get a little older, that gets a little tougher. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. He continued. I actually thought that in hiring coaches, recruiting players that my age started to become a little bit more of an issue. People wanted assurances that I would be here for three years, five years, whatever. And it got harder and harder for me to be honest about it. And to be honest, this last season was grueling. It was a real grind for us to come from where we started to where we got to look, took a little bit more out of me than usual. So that was from the Reese Davis interview. Just two quick reactions. because I want to get to the Chris Lowe interview, but the first reaction, I think it goes without saying. I'm just glad that Nick Saban, his wife, everybody that he cares about is fine. Um, you know, it, it was crazy. And I think I talked about it a little bit on the reaction show on whatever it was Wednesday night. Like I was at the Rose Bowl and there was no real reason to think that anything was wrong. I know. And I said this at the time, like everyone's claiming, oh, I knew this was coming. No, you didn't. I was around every Alabama media member. I was around all the players. I was around the coaching staff. I don't think anybody except for Nick Saban and his wife really had any serious idea that this was under consideration. But when it happened, obviously the big concern is, is there something wrong? This guy was just going full speed ahead. He just won the SEC. Why now? Is it real? Why would he do this? And then you start to talk to people. And then you start to hear whispers. And then you start to speak to people that maybe aren't plugged in. And you start to hear, is he sick? Is he okay? Is there something going on? What's wrong? Turns out, Everything is fine. So that's the good news. And then the second part, listen, I know that people who don't know Nick Saban, and I'm, not, and I'm not claiming that I do, but people that don't know Nick Saban, they want to pick him apart. And, oh, he yelled at this guy and he screamed at that player and chewed out this guy's you-know-what. And everybody wants to speak negatively about a guy that they don't really know. The one thing I can tell you is the people in this business who do know Nick Saban, certainly better than I do. I've only been in press conferences with him. Although, hate to brag, I uh, have a family friend that he may know about tours, but that's neither here nor there, okay? Why I bring it up, though, is the people that truly know him say he's as good of a person, he's genuine, he's caring. All of the things that you wouldn't think this football-obsessed guy would be. But, but I bring it up because that last part of the interview I thought was very important is I was questioning, like, why is this guy, like, like why now? Why would he retire? And again, I think the health part was part of it that I was thinking about on Wednesday. Why would you wait until the end of the season? Wait until uh, transfers have decided to commit. The signing class has been signed. You probably have 8, 10, 12 guys that are set to enroll at Alabama in the next couple of weeks if they have not already that were part of the 2024 signing class. 
So why now? What went into this decision? And and was it the right decision? And I just think what Nick Saban said to me speaks to the kind of guy he is. He said, look, whether it was a player, whether it was assistant coaches that had to move here and didn't want to be out of a job in a year, they all are starting to ask me, are you going to be here in two years, five years, three years, whatever? And I can't give them an honest answer. And so I give him credit for basically saying, rather than lying to a bunch of kids, rather than getting on the phone with 2025 recruits who are going into their senior years of high school next year, I'm not going to do that. I wasn't sure, but now I'm sure. And I give Nick Saban credit for that. As a matter of fact, let's switch to the second interview because I thought this was more of the same and more interesting in terms of why now, how tough the decision was, and frankly, what did Nick Saban do in his first day in retirement? So he spoke with Chris Lowe, ESPN. That was the guy who broke the story. And here is what he told Chris Lowe um, uh, about the whole situation. First of all, I thought it was really interesting. You, If you followed on Wednesday, people who were close to the program in the media were like, I was told that Nick Saban was doing meetings and interviews with assistant coaching candidates on Wednesday, like an hour before he announced his retirement. And so again, that fed into the, did something come up? Did they get some sort of medical news? Whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, I bring it up because Nick Saban kind of explained that. And I I love this quote. He said, uh, first of all, in the Chris Lowe article, it did, did confirm Saban was still interviewing potential assistant candidates via Zoom Tuesday and Wednesday. He was talking to potential receivers coach about an hour before telling the team that he was retiring. And so Saban was asked, why did he do that? He said, it's the way I've always done things. You keep working right up until it's time to walk away. I think when you get away from doing what you've always done, you're never going to be as effective. And that's just sort of it. I knew it was time. But he later then says in the article that basically up until about five minutes before he walked into that team meeting room, he had two speeches planned. One was, hey, you know, you're going to hear rumors, blah, 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 blah. Don't worry about it. I'm going to be back. The other one was the speech that he ultimately gave, which was, this is it. I'm retiring. And so it's crazy to think, one, that he was doing interviews, that he didn't know at 3.55 Central Time what his ultimate final decision was going to be. But that speaks to who he is, about the work ethic, about the this, about the that. It is fascinating to me. Finally, and I thought this was great too, is that we found out via the Chris Lowe article that even though he retired on Wednesday afternoon, that Nick Saban still came into the office on Thursday at the exact same time and basically went through his exact same routine. Now to me, maybe that's given me a little Brady vibes. Maybe he's not quite done. I think he is. But I bring it up because here is what he said about this. He said, I want to be there for the players, for the coaches, anything I can do to support them during this transition. I mean, I, I, I don't know what else to say about the guy. Listen, I know everybody that doesn't know him, and I'm not claiming I do. But everybody that doesn't know him wants to criticize him, and they see the ass chewings, and they see the this, and they see the that, and they see the quotes, and they see the mean sideline interviews. But I see a guy that very much cares about the program that he has built, about the Alabama, University of Alabama, about the school, about the organization, about everything. And so I just think it's so cool. It'd be easy for him to retire and go play golf, retire and go to a retirement, not a retirement home, not like that, but they got a place in Florida. They got a place on the lake, go there, get away, do something else, play golf. And you know what his priority is? Making sure his assistant coaches are taken care of, 
making sure his players are taken care of. Because I do think that's part of it that we, we, we sort of lose in all of this, right? Is the idea that at the end of the day, these players, they all came to play for him. And as of two weeks ago, they were playing for him. And as of two days ago, they had no idea that anyone other than him would ever coach them. And so it's fascinating to me. It's still sort of wild, and we're going to get to some of the coaching carousel rumors stuff. It's still wild to me that he spent 17 years building this, and there's no real succession plan. Now, I heard uh, Joel Klatt say this on, on Thursday at some point. He basically said that that the plan at one point was to have Sark take over, and then Sark was off for Texas, and it was like, well, you can't turn down Texas. Um, but I just bring it up because I think this is who Nick Saban is. And I can't believe that I, I, I'm not surprised because it feels like he just knew he was ready. And again, we talked about this on Wednesday. Sometimes in life, you just know. Sometimes in life, there's nothing else to, to do, to accomplish. Um, you're just ready to move on. I remember talking about this with Jim Calhoun a few weeks ago. Jim Calhoun retired from UConn, felt like he had unfinished business, came back and coached a D3 school that was going from an all-girls school to a men's school, and they started a men's basketball program. It's like, I just want to be in the gym, whatever. And then one day he woke up and he said, you know what? I've done everything there is to do. There's nothing else on my docket. There's nothing else on my plate. I am ready to move on. And so that's how I feel about Nick Saban. By the way, because I did have a couple people hit me up, like, Torres, is there some sort of parallel between Pete Carroll uh, earlier in the day, basically essentially being out with the Seattle Seahawks. He's se 72 years old, same age as Nick Saban. Nick Saban retiring. And then, of course, on Thursday morning, Bill Belichick and the Patriots going their separate ways. Like, is there some weird take to have or whatever? I'll just say I, I don't think there's anything there. What I think is most interesting, to me, there are three completely different circumstances. If you watch the Reese Davis interview, Nick Saban is retired. He ain't coming back. Like, he ain't coming back to coach the Cowboys and put in 18-hour days. Like, it sounds like he's ready. It sounds like he's done. It sounds like he appreciates everything that Alabama did for him, and now he's ready to help them in whatever way that he can. Um, so I don't see that happening. Belichick was really interesting because Belichick was the exact opposite. I watched his interview with uh, Robert Kraft, or uh, he did a press conference with Robert Kraft on Thursday morning. And basically Robert Kraft acknowledged like, it's time to move on. But I know this guy is going to coach again. Like Bill Belichick didn't even say anything about it. Robert Kraft was just like, man, oh man, like it's going to be weird seeing him in a cutoff hoodie for another team next year. Seems to me like Robert Kraft knows he still wants to coach. And it's probably, it's probably best um, for Bill Belichick to just start over somewhere else. By the way, I said it three years ago. I said I thought the Cowboys should fire Mike McCarthy after year one, when they um, when th that was the year that the 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 spike they couldn't spike the ball in time with Dak and they lost at home to the the Forty ers and I said at the time fire Mike McCarthy, bring in Nick Saban, because the Dallas Cowboys are a disorganized mess. They have the talent. The Super Bowl window is now with Dak and Micah Parsons and whatever. Well, I bring it up because wouldn't it be funny if they end up losing early in the playoffs this year and Bill Belichick's available? Because I think Bill Belichick, like, there are a lot of jobs that I don't think Bill Belichick makes, makes much sense for. I don't really see him in L.A. with the Chargers. I've seen some Atlanta Falcons buzz. That feels weird. 
don't know that I really see Bill Belichick in a lot of those places. But I could see him in D.C. I could also see him if the Cowboys completely fall apart. It's kind of exactly what they need. They already have the talent. They already have the players. All they need is a guy to 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 come in and get him in line. Like Mike McCarthy's fine, but Bill Belichick, I whatever, I believe would take him to another level. But the point I'm trying to make, I truly believe Saban's retired. I truly believe Belichick is not. And then Pete Carroll is somewhere in the middle. Anyone who saw that press release knows, you know, they, they said something about, you know, we're moving him into a different role. We're excited to keep him with the franchise. You fired him. Let, let's stop pretending like it was anything other than a firing. Um, and for Pete Carroll's perspective, I think he's going to coach again. Now, here is my hot take, and I texted a couple of you, some of the listeners of the show that, that I know pretty well. I did. I do have a take. My take is this. I actually think Pete Carroll should come back to college. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm almost certain that it won't happen. But I bring it up because, like, Pete Carroll, okay, he was okay in the NFL. I mean, he was he won a Super Bowl, right? But obviously it went sideways with Russell Wilson, whatever. I just bring it up because I think Pete Carroll is weirdly more built for the NIL portal 12-team playoff era of college football than the one that he left behind. Because that guy knows how to recruit. That guy knows how to sell. That guy is all about player personnel. He would still kill, maybe even more so now because he won a freaking Super Bowl. And you don't have to worry about pl- players getting paid because everybody's getting paid. I think he would be great in college. I, listen, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if somehow Alabama whiffs on all these candidates, Kalen DeBoer, Mike Norvell, whoever they deem to be the guy, and I, I'd probably give Pete Carroll a call. I'd probably give Pete Carroll a call. Don't think it's going to happen, but I... I'm just saying what I would do. Again, knows how to build a program. He can win when he has more talent than everybody. He proved it at USC forever. Anyway, I'm rambling. Nick Saban, he's healthy. We got some details. I'm glad. Just glad Nick Saban's okay. And coach, I wish you uh, fulfillment and happiness in retirement. Don't think Nick Saban's coming back. By the way, Nick Saban, you ever bored on a Tuesday, Wednesday? Come join the Aaron Torres pod. Let's chat. Let's yuck it up. All right, so what we're going to do, take a quick break, come back. When we come back, we're going to talk about what's next for Bama. We threw out some candidate names on Wednesday night. By Thursday, the, the process and the conversation has already evolved. Quick break, talk about that. Be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, everybody. Now I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears. And I do want to go ahead and talk about more of this Alabama story. I feel like I'm an Alabama radio host. Last week, we just uh, on Wednesday, we just talked a lot about the the news, the shock of it all. Uh, obviously, we just talked about the latest with Nick Saban. He's okay. He spoke to Reese Davis and Chris Lowe on Thursday. Everything is fine health-wise. So now that we know that, that Nick Saban's okay, thank goodness. Can't lose Nick Saban. He's all we got left. Protect him at all costs. It is time, though, now that we know that he's good, to talk about seriously who is going to replace this guy. He's a living legend, but Alabama is also a great coaching job. And on Wednesday's live reaction, we did talk a little bit about who's next. But now it's Thursday. And now we've got some real tangible information about who's a legitimate candidate, who's not. Some of the guys we talked about, it feels like we're trending the wrong direction. But one thing we do know, Greg Byrne has had a list of names in his desk forever. And he's been planning for this day and he knows who he wants. And on Thursday, we got a lot of very interesting information about this coaching search. First off, I would argue the single most important piece of news that we got on Thursday is one guy that is definitively not going to get the job. And it's the guy that I would have made my first phone call to, Dan Lanning, the head coach at Oregon. And it was funny because as soon as I logged off of that live reaction show on Wednesday night, you start seeing the reports of Dan Lanning's on campus and Dan Lanning's already there. And and I'll say this, I, I don't claim to have insight into every single thing that everybody is doing, but it felt weird. I don't think that Greg Byrne even knew that this was coming as of Thursday, uh, as of Wednesday afternoon. And so the idea, like this, this news shocked everybody. And I will say, like, I don't know Dan Lanning. I don't know uh, uh, Nick Saban. But I know enough people in college football circles where nobody saw this coming. So the idea that Dan Lanning was already on a plane to Tuscaloosa or in Tuscaloosa two hours after this news broke, there was just no way that it was true. Well, we found out definitively on Thursday morning because Dan Lanning uh, did a an announcement through his social media basically saying, I'm not going anywhere. As a matter of fact, he was on Pat McAfee. Apparently, he said uh, that uh, he was actually watching one of the Bourne movies with his son when his phone starts blowing up, when his son's phone starts blowing up. And the bottom line is he is staying in Oregon. And at this point, let me say a couple things about Dan Lanning before we get to the legitimate candidates. I do think it's time that we start taking Dan Lanning off of all these coaching carousel search lists, okay? I will say that, I don't, again, I'm not claiming I know the guy. And I'm not saying that he'll never leave Oregon at all. But I do think we have to start kind of changing our brains as to what a good job in modern college football is. And I would argue Oregon is about as good as any of them. 
Now, is it better than Georgia? Is it better than LSU? I don't know. But what I do know is there isn't a single thing that the LSU coach has, that the Georgia coach has, that the Florida coach has, that the Ohio State coach has, that the Michigan coach has, that Dan Lanning can't get. Resources, facilities, finances, NIL uh, collective money. These are the things that matter in 2024. Do you have the right collective? Do you have the right donors behind you? Do you have the right infrastructure in place where if you need something, you can get it? I'll be quick here because I know you want to talk about other coaching candidates, but listen, I live in LA. USC 20 years ago was the best job on the West Coast, but USC donors, as of this moment, this second right now, they're not willing to put up the money that it takes to recruit at the level that you need to at the highest level. And so, yes, USC has a natural recruiting base that Oregon doesn't. But the stuff that matters, facilities, resources, NIL money, Oregon blows virtually everybody out of the water. And, and this is where I think Dan Lanning sees it. He says, I got a great thing going. By the way, all those other jobs that have the same, there's not many, there's no jobs that have more than me. But the jobs that have the same as me, the same money, the same collective, the same resources, the same facilities, they might even have a little bit more pressure, right? Because you think about Oregon. Oregon has everything that Ohio State and LSU and Texas has with like one one-hundredth of the pressure. Think about Ohio State. Ryan Day, we're, people are legitimately saying, if Ryan Day loses to Michigan again next year and does not win the Big Ten, he might be fired. I don't think that's going to happen. But I bring it up because Ryan Day just went 11-2. and two. Ryan Day two years ago went 11-2. and two. Almost won, almost won a playoff game and played for a national championship last year. But I bring it up because that is what the pressure is at Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, Tennessee, whoever. It isn't that at Oregon. So I don't want to go any longer with Dan Lanning because there's other candidates to get to. I just don't buy him as a legitimate candidate for all but a few jobs. Now, maybe three, four, five years down the road, he hits a brick wall. You know, he, things aren't going as well at Oregon. It's different, but right now, the second, I think it's as good of a job as any in college football. For people who say there's no recruiting base, well, guess what? You don't need a recruiting base in the NIL portal world. Anyway, Dan Lanning is out. I'll say this too, as far as the Alabama job, or job is concerned. Another name that is seems to be trending in the other direction, it's Lane Kiffin. I've seen multiple people say, Lane Kiffin's just not a legitimate candidate. I saw Greg McElroy, who obviously played there. He hosts a morning radio show with my buddy Cole Kublick every single day. I heard them talking about it on their show. Greg McElroy said Lane Kiffin is not a candidate. Um, Chris Lowe was on with my buddy Ryan Fowler, said Lane Kiffin is not a candidate. And so it is interesting. Lane Kiffin's another one for the opposite of Dan Lanning that we may have to take him off the list of, of, of big, big, big time coaching jobs because it feels like he gets linked with all these jobs. Two years ago, he got linked with LSU and Florida and a couple others. And he was not a real candidate for those jobs. Maybe Auburn he was last year. But this year, Texas A&M, people try to link him. You talk to people at Texas A&M, he was never even in the conversation. And apparently he isn't at Alabama either. We can agree whether he's the right fit, whether he's the wrong fit. Is he too cocky or arrogant? Has he won big enough yet? I think he has. Is it the NCAA passed? I don't know. Is there something about him that people that have worked with him just say, we're good? I don't know. But it feels like his name keeps getting brought up with all these big jobs, and it doesn't feel like those jobs want him. Now, in terms of the names that are starting to rise, so Lanning is out. Kiffin seems to be trending in the wrong direction. 
the names that are jumping up, there is a lot of Kalen DeBoer buzz a day into this coaching search. Thought it was interesting early in the day, the odds markets, offshore odds were trending towards Mike Norvell. We'll get to him in a minute from Florida State. But as the day went on, there's just more and more and more buzz about Kalen DeBoer. I think it's very interesting. One, Colin Cowherd, my buddy, um, you know, he's very plugged in in the agenting world. And he said, like, I talked to some people in that agent world, and this is a guy that Alabama has been vetting behind the scenes for months. Maybe not like the hardcore vet, but, but you know, kind of just has an eye on him, learning more about him, this and that. I then saw on top of that, some other reports linking him to the job. Chris Lowe, as I just mentioned, said that he was a legitimate candidate. I also saw Joel Klatt say that he believes that not only is Kalen DeBoer uh, a candidate, Joel Klatt went so far as to say he would be shocked if Kalen DeBoer was not the next head coach at Alabama. So it shows you the buzz that this guy's starting to get. And I guess all I would say is it's a very interesting conversation. I think he's a great coach. I think he's super smart. I am so impressed by his scheme and his whatever. The ability to get everything out of Washington that he did. Uh, and I think there's no doubt, like anybody else, it'd be interesting to see him do it with more talent, a higher caliber of player, right? Like, no disrespect, but they just ran into a wall against Michigan the other night. They just weren't as good. But even, by the way, they beat Oregon twice this year, and I would argue Oregon's got more better personnel. I don't think USC's personnel is significantly worse than Washington's, and Washington largely dominated them at the Coliseum. And so I bring it up because I would be so fascinated to see him walk into that building with the talent that is there. Now, of course, the concern with Kalen DeBoer is he's never, he, he's, a, he's a small school kind of West Coast, Northwest kind of guy. We've talked about a coach at the NAIA level at a place called Sioux Falls. Not sure how many of you have watched a Sioux Falls game lately. Small school, NAIA in South Dakota. Won a ton of games there, by the way. Then he goes the FCS route, the group of five route as coordinator. Gets the Fresno State job. And of course, he's been at Washington over the last couple of years. So is he ready for that, that spotlight that the Alabama coaching job puts on you? I don't know, but that is an interesting fit. And that's a name that seems to be very trending in the right direction. Much the same for Mike Norvell, by the way, from Florida State. And listen, I know Mike Norvell has kind of taken some strays over the last month because of what happened, ironically, with Alabama in the 14 college football playoff. He's a good coach, though, man. This was a guy, year one was that COVID year. I think they went like three and five, three and six. Year two, five and seven. Year three, 10 and three a season ago. And then, of course, this year, 13 and one, the only loss to Georgia in that, of course, uh, that, that, that orange bowl that will never be spoken of again. I think he's an interesting candidate for a couple of reasons. One, if he leaves Florida State, I live. Pray in the social media streets that this guy does not leave Florida State because that fan base might melt down. I'm very worried about the, the health of that fan base overall, but if they lose Mike Norvell, it could get ugly at Florida State. I do think if they lose Mike Norvell, I think another question would just be, is all of their concern about the ACC and all of that validated? I don't know. It's something worth thinking about. It's something worth considering. Mike Norvell's name is very much in the mix at Alabama. And I also think, like, they are going to take a step back next year. Like, this was the year that Florida State was really built for. And it's a shame that Jordan Travis got hurt. It's a shame that we're not in the 12-team playoff era. 
Because if we were, they would have gotten in. And if Jordan Travis was healthy, I think they could have done damage. We'll never know. But they lose a ton off this year's team. Keon Coleman, uh, the quarterback, Jordan Travis, Johnny Wilson, the other wide receiver, Jaheim Bell, the tight end, Jared Verse, on and on. So we'll see about Norvell. A couple other updates. One, we mentioned Lane Kiffin trending in the wrong direction. I, I, I think Dabo is too. I, I just don't get the sense that Greg Byrne, who's been very smart in his hires, um, I don't get the sense that Dabo's really a candidate. Trending in the wrong direction, stubborn, doesn't want to use the portal. Doesn't sound like the kind of guy that I would want to hire in 2024. Um, D'Amico Ryan's a guy that I mentioned that first day. He loses in the in the playoffs with the Texans this week. You give him a buzz, see if he'd at least take the call. Now, I've heard mixed things. I think Greg McElroy was the one that said again that maybe there's some bridges burned with some former players with you know, he doesn't like the treatment of some former players and it doesn't feel like he's leaving the NFL after one year to come home to Bama. So we'll keep an eye out. By the way, one name that just I, I've seen a few times that I don't get Mike Loxley, Maryland head coach. I don't think that'd be very good if that happens. I saw Chris Lowe mention him as as a name in passing. I can't imagine that Mike Loxley like like I don't know that you can sell that to the fan base, to the board of trustees, et cetera but we'll obviously keep an eye on this coaching job. I think something's going to happen quick because you have to do something soon to keep this roster intact. All right, so what we're going to do, take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to wrap the show. I know it's all Nick Saban all the time here, but have you seen what's happening in college hoops right now? Insanity in the college hoop streets as uh, four of the top five teams lost since the last time we talked college hoops. Purdue, Houston, Tennessee, Kansas. Could UConn be number one? Can Kentucky be number two? Take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. Final segment of the week. So good to be back. And oh, what a week it has been. By the way, if you're watching on YouTube, Torres is just worn down. This has been a heck of a week. It's been a busy week. And I'll say this. like It's crazy because, you know, uh, college hoops, I, I should mention this. Like a lot of you tune into this show specifically for college hoops. And the wild part is this has been unquestionably the craziest week of college hoops all year. But because of Nick Saban, because of Bill Belichick, because of the NFL coaching carousel, it just, there's been so much going on that we haven't really had a chance to talk college hoops. And it's been the craziest college hoops week of the season. So let's wrap. I know we usually do Aaron right, Aaron wrong. We'll have to save that for next week. By the way, like I said to begin the show, I got everything right this week. Michigan winning the natty, picked him in the preseason, whatever. So we'll save Aaron right, Aaron wrong for next week. But let's talk some college hoops. Because for people who did not see what a week it was, Tuesday night, for people who weren't paying attention, number one, Purdue. You know, Torres loves Purdue. Nobody's a bigger Boilermaker fan than your boy Torres. They go to Nebraska. Now, Nebraska's a really good team. And we're going to talk about the game in a minute. Number one, Purdue falls on the road to Nebraska. By 16 points, 88 to 72 is the final score. Also on Tuesday night, the number two team in the country, the only undefeated team left in the sport, Houston loses at Iowa State. Remember, Houston is part of the Big 12. Houston, again, the only undefeated team in the sport. Do not know, by the way, if the uh, 76 Indiana Hoosiers, if they pop champagne every time the last undefeated team loses like the Miami Dolphins do, uh, but no more undefeated teams in college hoops. Which brings us to Wednesday, where 
it was an even crazier night. Number three, Kansas goes on the road. Remember, much like Houston, Central Florida, UCF is now a part of the Big 12. They came for football. Don't tell that to Johnny Dawkins of the basketball team. How about this? Kansas loses at Central Florida at UCF. Could not believe this final score as the Jayhawks fall at Central Florida. And then, oh, by the way, number five, Tennessee loses uh, at Mississippi State in SEC play, their first SEC road game, meaning the only top five team that did not lose on Tuesday or Wednesday, my UConn Huskies. Also worth noting, Kentucky picked up another home, uh, another SEC win, this one at home against Missouri. And I will give credit to North Carolina. We're going to talk about them in a minute. But how about this? Three straight road games to open ACC play. They go 3-0. and They beat Pitt to start. They beat Clemson last weekend. And then, of course, they beat NC State a few days ago. And so I just want to talk about this crazy week. We don't have to go game by game, minute by minute, second by second. But a couple kind of big picture things stand out. First off, it, this just shows, and I, I think this is an important thing for people who love college hoops. It is really, really, really hard to win on the road, and it's especially hard to win on the road um, in conference play. Remember, conference play is just such a different beast. Everybody knows you. Everybody knows your strengths and weaknesses. Everybody knows what you like to run. Everybody knows how you like to play. I'll give you the most extreme example from last year. Remember, UConn went undefeated in out-of-conference games, including the NCAA tournament, and not only did they go undefeated, they went 17-0, all 17 wins by double figures. Teams that had not seen them could not not only figure them out, they just couldn't, it wasn't even competitive. In Big East play, they were 13-7 and overall, and they lost in the conference tournament to Marquette. So I just bring it up to very simply say, conference play is a different beast, and these losses are going to happen. This is why college hoops is sometimes tough to talk about, because losses happen. So instead of like tearing apart Purdue or Tennessee or whoever for losing, I think you need to be happy if you're one of those teams that has a, a, a team that is picking up wins on the road. If you're a UConn fan, back-to-back -back road wins against Butler and against Xavier, sellouts, you're the biggest draw in town, you get those wins, it doesn't matter how close they were. It doesn't matter how easily you could have lost those games. What matters is that you won. Kentucky going to Florida on Saturday is a really, really impressive feat that should not be understated. North Carolina, as I just said, really, really impressive that they have three straight road games, three straight road wins to open ACC play. So that's the big picture takeaway. It's really hard to win on the road. If your team is doing it in league play, appreciate it and enjoy these moments. Now, in terms of the losses and the results, the ones that I would say that I'm not worried about at all, I'm not worried about Houston at all. They're just a mean, nasty group. They fell down early. Uh, Iowa State is a really tough place to play. And Iowa State kind of plays the same style as Houston. Tough, physical, low scoring. So you're not going to out-physical and out-mean Iowa State. And that's how Houston kind of gets all of its wins. The speed, the physicality, the toughness. The things that make Houston Houston are a lot of the things that make Iowa State Iowa State. Not really worried about that. Not really worried about Tennessee because one, the Mississippi State team that they lost to on the road, I think is an NCAA tournament caliber team. And two, it is a weird stylistic matchup for Tennessee. Again, Tennessee wants to be physical, wants to beat you on the boards. Mississippi State is maybe the most physical team in the SEC. 
And the way you have to beat them is by outscoring them, out-toughing them, out-physicaling them, out-athleting them, if that's the right word. Mississippi State is a really good team, in my opinion. They just got back their best player, Tolu Smith. I would not be worried if I was a Tennessee fan. I'll say this. I I wouldn't be too worried yet if I was a Purdue fan either. Um, It's interesting, Purdue undefeated second straight year in the out-of-conference portion of the regular season schedule. Last year, they beat Duke, they beat Gonzaga, etc. Enter league play, and like I said, teams have you figured out in league play in a way that non-conference teams do. Much the same this year. They win the Maui Invitational. They beat Marquette. They beat um, Gonzaga in that event. They beat, who was the third team? They beat Tennessee in that event. Tennessee fans will tell you there were a lot of foul calls in their direction, and I think they're right. But I bring it up because when it comes to Purdue, and by the way, the Nebraska team they played is actually really good. This is like year five for Fred Hoiberg, and he seems to have finally figured it out. They have a big five guy uh, from the Netherlands who's kind of the perfect player for them because they want to play fast. They want to space things out, shoot three-pointers. But they've never had a big guy that could do that, and you need a big in the Big Ten to counter the Zach Edes, the big guys in other places. So I'm not worried about the loss to Nebraska specifically, but I will say I will go back to what we have talked about, and I know Purdue fans are going to crush me, and that's okay. You're allowed to support your team. But I worry about this team when the referees call games evenly and Zach Eady gets in foul trouble. Now, listen, I got into the whole thing after the Alabama game. Purdue fans yelled at me because I said the discrepancy was insane. And you can agree, disagree, argue with me about it. But I do believe that a conversation was had behind the scenes in college basketball about this guy and about how he's refereed. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I do believe it happened. The next game against Arizona, the foul discrepancy was basically even. Credit to Purdue for winning that game. They deserved it. They were the better team. They should have been number one after that game. Why I bring it up, the last two games, Zach Eady has been in foul trouble. I don't know if the the, the refereeing, I, I don't know if he's just committing fouls more. Wink, wink. I don't think he is. I do think the refereeing is tightening a little bit. I think he's getting away. He was getting away with some stuff in the out of conference. You had referees that weren't used to refereeing him and they didn't want to be overzealous. The Big Ten referees know him. They know what's a foul. They know what isn't. But look at Purdue's last two games. They played Illinois at home on Friday, okay? Illinois is a very good team. Illinois is also a team that does not have an All-American right now. Terrence Shannon Jr., we've discussed it. He is currently suspended uh, for some legal situations. I'm not going to get into it. If you want to find out what he did, you can go ahead and search it. But I bring it up because Illinois, on the road, without an All-American who is averaging 22 points a game, now they've been playing very well without him, but that is not a game that should be close at Purdue. What ends up happening? Zach Eady gets in foul trouble early. Zach Eady foul trouble late. And then a funny thing happens. Illinois was in that game till the end. Purdue ends up winning 83 to 78. But that was a game where Zach Eady in that game finished with four fouls, 23 minutes played, and just 10 points. Now, 10 points and 15 rebounds. It shows you that he is a very good player, something that I have always said. Then you go to the Nebraska game on Wednesday night. Now, if you just look at the box score, you'd say Zach Eady was not in foul trouble. He finished with three fouls. Here's the thing, though. He got two fouls in the first half. It was largely a competitive game. Purdue was up 28-27 to when Zach Eady picked up his second foul. 
follow, fo following the second foul, check this out. In that game, they were up 28 to 27 when he went out with foul trouble. In the first half, there's only about two minutes left. The halftime score was 41 to 30, meaning they outscored Purdue 14 to 3 with him off the court. So Purdue fans want to say Torres doesn't know what he's talking about. Purdue fans want to say Torres doesn't like our team. Listen, I, I don't really care what happens anywhere. Hate to brag, my team won the Natty last year, so I'm kind of on easy street right now. I'm chilling. But you look at that Nebraska game. When Zach Eady went out, Purdue made a or North uh, uh, Nebraska made a run, and the guards were not good enough again. Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, six of seventeen from the field. That's not going to get the job done against good teams. Now, the good thing is they shot well from three, but I just bring it up because this is my only point about uh, Purdue that I've been making for weeks now. If Zach Eady gets in foul trouble, you could be in trouble. And that was why I said, listen, Purdue fans, you're mad at me because I'm questioning how he's being called, but it's only going to hurt you in the long run. So we'll see what happens. But I think the big thing for Matt Painter He's got to develop some of these other guys. Now, to his credit, some of the guys are stepping up. Mason Gillis was unbelievable in that Nebraska game. Um, Trey Wren Kaufman was really good in the Illinois game the game before. You need to get the consistent second and third guys behind Edie because I don't think you can expect him to just play 33 minutes a game in the tournament and get his 27 and 14 like he does when the refs decide to, to chew on the whistle and, and swallow the whistle. Really quickly, the other team that I am concerned about, so I'm not concerned at all about Houston. I'm not concerned about Tennessee. I would say on the Purdue concern scale, it's more of like a three out of 10 because I do think when you get the out-of-conference component, I think it'll be a lot like UConn where their teams are going to probably struggle with them a little bit, at least early in the tournament. Kansas, I'm worried about, though. And I've been, listen, been telling you about Kansas, man. First of all, losing to Central Florida is bad. And by the way, UCF, Central Florida fans get mad when you call them Central Florida. UCF, that's bad. Central Florida was not good. UCF, I'm sorry. UCF was not good coming into this game. They were 9-4. and four. They got destroyed in their Big 12 opener at Kansas State the other day. And they won at home against Kansas. And when it comes to Kansas, it's what I've been telling you. They got two and a half, three guys. Sometimes, you know, basically they have a core four, Hunter Dickinson and Kevin McCuller, as well as K.J. Adams and Dewan Harris. And essentially what we've seen all year, three of them need to be great for Kansas to beat good teams. And even when they're great, look at some of the, the wins that Kansas has. Kentucky, they largely, Kentucky outplayed them for about 34 minutes in the Champions Classic, okay? And Kansas held on to win. Indiana outplayed Kansas for about 35, 38 minutes. The whistle started going in Kansas's favor. Kansas wins. TCU was essentially robbed of a win in Allen Fieldhouse. So there's been a lot of close games and it has come back to bite him. And so listen, I still trust Bill Self. I still, you know, I don't think I, he is the best coach in college basketball. By the way, Kansas barely survived against UConn at home as well. But I still believe in Bill Self. But this comes back to what I have said. They don't have a bench, as I just told you. So McCuller, Dickinson, and KJ Adams average a combined. 51, 52 points per game, they're scoring about 78 points per game. So essentially, three players are scoring about 66% of, or producing about 66% of their offense, and I just don't think that's good enough. 
Now, the good news for Kansas, uh, a couple of their bench players did play better on Wednesday night. Johnny Furphy, the freshman that we've talked about from Australia, played pretty well. He had nine points off the bench. Nick Timberlake starting to figure it out a little bit. They need more depth, though. Here's the bottom line with Kansas. Outside of their starters, only one player played more than 11 minutes off the bench. You need more. You don't need 11 guys in college basketball, but you need more than six. And that's what I worry about with Kansas. In terms of everything else, you know, listen, we just talked about UConn. I'll give UConn credit, man. Listen, these aren't necessarily the best teams that they're going to play in the Big East. But anytime you can get road wins, it's crucial. By the way, close road wins, I think, are, are, are making the UConn fan base very happy, making Dan Hurley very happy, because that's been the only criticism of Dan Hurley by the outside. Oh, he can't win close games. If they don't destroy people, he's going to struggle. Well, they just won two back-to-back close road games, and I still think there's another gear for UConn. Um, staying in the Big East, have you seen the top of the Big East standings? Would you believe that UConn, that's maybe not surprising. St. John's. St. John's is now four and one in Big East play. Four and one in Big East play. Shout out to St. John's. Congrats to St. John's fans. Listen, where Aaron was right, I said go get Patino. Don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about off the court. Go get Patino. They beat Providence at Madison Square Garden on Wednesday night. And here's the crazy part. They didn't even play that well in that game. So they get the win. They're four and one. They might be the second best team in the Big East. I don't think Creighton's very good. Uh, Marquette is struggling. One of their best players just got hurt. He's out for the season. Sean Jones, awful news. They might be the best team. By the way, credit Seton Hall. Seton Hall's playing very well as well in the Big East. Um, And quickly, where Aaron was right again, North Carolina, baby. How about those Tar Heels? Again, three straight, three straight conference road wins to open the season. I tried to tell you. I said, this team is different. This team is good. Uh, you know, uh, they're veteran. They have the right pieces around them. Carolina is a legitimate top 10 team. And I think they are a legitimate, legitimate threat to win the ACC and make a deep tournament run. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the air tour sports podcast. It is time for me to get out of here. It's time for me to have a cold beverage, man. It has been a long week. Uh, Bama fans. Good luck. I'm guessing by the time my hunch would be By the time we do Monday's show, we will know who Bama's next head coach is, so we'll talk about that whenever that happens. We'll certainly have some sort of update, uh, but that's why you need to be subscribed. If you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Make sure to also rate and review the show. Give me a quick five stars. Really would help. A lot of Purdue fans left some negative, negative, negative things on that Apple page, so give me a, a quick review. If you're not subscribed on YouTube, we're close. We're so close to 32K. I'd like to get to like 35 before the end of the month, so make sure to subscribe. That's really it. Aaron underscore Torres on Instagram. Aaron uh, uh, Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. Aaron Torres Pod on YouTube, on TikTok, and Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. My brain is fried. I got to get out of here. Hope everybody has a great weekend, and we'll be back on Monday. Maybe with a bonus show, depending on when Nick, you know, when we get an answer on what's next at Bam. Time for me to go. Appreciate your support. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F head. Unblock me, bro. Pat McAfee, I'd ask you to unblock me, but I feel like you got a lot of stuff on your plate right now. Good luck to Pat McAfee. Good luck to Bama fans. I will be back on Monday. New episode, Aaron Torres Pop.